Election season is underway, and so are the AI deepfakes. 26 billion records are stolen in a massive hack, but was that really a big deal? Also, Disney engineers get closer to creating a Star Trek holodeck. We're going to talk about those stories and more on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. The guy pushing the buttons in the corner is Chris. Hello, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Very good. I'm good. It's going well. Thank you again. And we're also joined via Zoom by our latest guest co-host, Jack Gold, principal analyst at J. Gold Associates. Welcome back, Jack. Good morning, guys. So you survived last week's uh, uh, video and you're back for more. You know, <laughs> hey, I'm just a glutton for punishment. I, I really enjoyed the conversation we had last week. So let's let's uh, let's have another great uh, conversation about tech news that's going on. Uh, first off, uh, the New Hampshire primary was this week, and uh, wouldn't you know, there was some uh, AI deep fakery going on. Uh, apparently, uh, unknown criminals blasted New Hampshire Democrats with an apparently AI-generated robocall of President Biden in what the state's attorney general is calling a quote unlawful attempt to suppress the vote. Um, and this is what the robo Biden said on the call. It was like voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. Uh, the White House press secretary confirmed that the recording of the phone calls was fake at a Monday briefing, but then declined to comment in detail as an investigation is ongoing. And this only confirms what a lot of us were uh, saying. I've, I've said this on the show many times about about the election season is going to be uh, crazy with all of these voice AI cloning uh, uh, attempts. Um, and when I was reading about a lot of the calls that, you know, reading about this story, I was, I was reading through a lot of the comments and some of the people were like, well, it's, it, they didn't understand what the big deal was because it was a, uh, they didn't know who was behind it other than, you know, why would you care about voter suppression in a democratic primary where it wasn't even a real primary for them? Um, there was a write-in campaign, it was, you know, but then someone else said, well, maybe this is the uh, trial run for later on in the election season. And I think I went, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, Jack, what, what, you know, what are you reading? What are you hearing about this, this incident? Yeah, look, I, my, my uh, pessimism says we ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. Um, I think, well, we'll I, think that's, I think that's being real, realistic too. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, probably. Uh, but, you know, we're going to see a lot of this stuff. It's not going to be limited to audio. Um, you know, some of the new techniques allow you to do video that way as well. And so, you know, you, you, you know, you, you'll have deep fake videos of, I don't know, Biden standing up saying something that he shouldn't, uh, Donald Trump saying something, who knows. Um, and so it's going to be a very interesting uh, season. The, the problem is that with a lot of this tech, it's it's almost untraceable. So think about a phone call. Yeah. Uh, think about the Internet. If you get an email today on the Internet, it's traceable, right? You know where that IP uh, address originated. There is no such technology right now for phones. They're trying to put it in place, but it hasn't happened. And so you can have a VoIP, VoIP voice over IP call. Mm -hmm. Sorry, VoIP. Uh, originate in uh, making this uh, Bangladesh. I don't know wherever. And um, no one will know that it's coming from there. And and by the way, there's nowhere, no real way to stop it other than just not to answer your phone. Right, so, right. Uh, we're going to see a lot more of this. Uh, I, I have a friend who lives in New Hampshire. I, you know, we, we're in Massachusetts here. So I, I, I do know a lot of people that also live in New Hampshire. And he posted, I think it was on LinkedIn or Facebook, um, 
the screen from his uh, iPhone. And it had all of these different phone numbers and they were all robocalls. And he, you know, so right. he didn't answer all of them because he knew that any call coming in probably within the last two weeks would have been some kind of robocall. Um, and I, I thought that these things were illegal, but apparently robocalls for political purposes are not illegal. So there's nothing you, you can't kind of block. You can't call the list where you could before with, you know, sales calls and things like that. You can be put on that do not yeah. call list, but not for, not never for political purposes. And, it, you know, again, yeah, they, they never work. I still get, you know, calls on my phone. Right. Um, right. right. And if, if I don't know the number, yeah. I don't answer the call. I'm the same way. And, 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 you know, the, the phone companies are trying to do something about it right now. My phone says uh, verified call for some, because they already know what the number is and it's that, you know, they have a way of verifying it. But look, what if, I don't know, what if Russia decided to make 3 billion calls to the U S how would you block that? There's no way to block that. Um, it's it, it, with today's technology, you know, it's all over voice over IP. Yep. Um, it, it doesn't cost them anything to speak of. You know, it's it's almost free. Um, in, in the old days, if someone was calling from Russia, you know, they would have to pay a long distance toll charge. Today, it's all over the internet. So it's yeah. free. Yeah, and, I think. And so there's really no way right now to regulate it. There is a loophole in the law that says political calls are exempt from the no call laws. Right, right. Chris, did you have some? And so, yeah. you know, basically get ready to be inundated. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the phone manufacturers are going to have to step in and do something. I know I have a Pixel, and I don't know how iPhones do this, but I, it does a pretty good job blocking, um, you know, erroneous calls and, and stuff like that. I, I probably get 100 calls from UPS a day that it blocks out. Like this, saying, like fake ones. Yeah, saying that I, you know, I need to pick up my package or yeah. something or or something like that, but it, it might have to yeah. it might have to be on the like the phone manufacturers. Well, um, what well, yeah, lap, uh, yeah, you know? I think Apple has been trying to introduce some of these things where they 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 go right to voicemail and you get, you start getting the transcription if it's a voicemail call. Do robocalls then go to uh, voicemail usually? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um, I mean, it would be nice to not get the call in the first place. Oh yeah. I don't know if you're ever, I don't know if that's ever, yeah, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to do that because they just change the number. Like you can try to, like every time I get one of those fake ones from China, um, I just instantly block the number, Yeah, but they still come in. I still get a lot. Like for, for my pixel, like you can, you can go in to the, like the phone, you know, like the call notifications and you can see, how many calls it's blocked? I don't physically. Oh, see, I don't. Yeah, yeah don't like my phone that. doesn't. Yeah. My phone doesn't ring. Yeah, it'll just block it like in the back end. So you can see this long list of just UPS, UPS, UPS. Yeah, saying that I need to pick up this package. It's also up to the carriers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know, Verizon, AT and T, Timo, they're trying to do some of this as well. There are internet service providers where you can sign up and they'll they'll block calls based on you know, a database that they have of all these uh, uh, phone numbers, but and, may, uh, and maybe know, you, those you guys are, are right. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, maybe those are already being blocked and we don't see how many are yeah, actually coming. Seeing it. Yeah. But even if but 1% again, gets through, that's still enough to annoy me as a, as a consumer. Well, and, and again, with, with VoIP calling, you can rotate the number every call if you want to. There are millions of numbers out there. And so, you know, I can have a list of blocked numbers, but, those guys are just going to change the number every 10 minutes and, and, you know, it'll start over again. So it's going to be a, 
it's an ongoing battle. It's 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 like malware, right? Um, we we have all kinds of stuff that we put on our our PCs and our phones to try and block out malware. But you know, the bad guys always find a, a way around it. The good guys are trying to you know fight back. It's yeah. it's, it's going to be a continuing battle. I want to get back to the the AI discussion of of the deep fake yep. of 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 President Biden. Um, do you think that people would fall for these? Is it, is it, again, you, Chris and I, we're pretty smart. We've been talking about this for the last year and a half now, and we're pretty savvy people that would understand that some of this stuff is fake, but you know, is it, is it wise for us to assume that there are some dumb people out there that might fall for it? Or is it just a matter of just telling, uh, our less tech savvy people that's like, this might be fake and, and a robocall, I think most people are annoyed by anyway, right? Yeah, people fall for this all the time. I mean, really? Look at really? The, okay, all right. Sure. <laughs> I don't remember the number anymore. Uh, it's been a little while since I looked it up, but there is a significant number of telephone fraud, you know, in the tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars where people will call you and say, hey, you know, your son's just been in a car accident. They asked me to call you. He needs yeah. $10,000 right away to, to get out of jail. Okay. But that, people people fall for it. Right, but that's a little they different do, from, so. from a presidential robocall of trying to get people to go out and vote or not vote or, or all the political stuff. Within the political yeah, realm, are people falling for it? Term, right? huh? So today it's don't go out and vote. Tomorrow it could be, hey, um, I, I, no, I don't know, I'm making stuff up, right? Yeah. Hey, we need your vote because... Um, you know, the, the, the Dems or the Republicans or the independents are cheating and, and they're putting all these votes in place. So, you know, you got to go out and do something about it. whatever. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff. Think about I hate to say it. Think about January 6th Amplified. Right. Right. I it, Yeah. I mean, I guess you could you could you could then get go down that road of having a fake candidate telling people to go out and shoot your neighbor or or, you know, bring the pitchforks and torches and go somewhere that that would be problematic, I think. Um, but but you're right. You know, the, the, the fake calls that of a family member saying that they're in danger, that concerns me a lot more um, or having someone fall for that. Again, when it gets personal, when it gets emotional, that's where right. I think your guard tends to go down. And then you really have to think about, oh, is this real? Is this fake? That kind of thing. But I mean, I, I, I know that I know that like Donald Trump isn't going to be calling me personally. Um, yeah. right. So I, I, I don't think that the robocalls are 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 going to be as effective as maybe you guys think they are. But that's OK. Well, but it gets back to the, the deep fake thing. Right. So. So what if, um, you know, one of my kids voices on the Internet somewhere or we're on the Internet. Right. Uh, and A.I good AI program can take my voice, your voice, whatever, duplicate it and, and say anything you want it to say. And then they call my wife or, you know, they call one of my kids or one of my kids is on the calls me, but yeah. it's a deep fake and it sounds real. Yep. Yep. That's, that's the risk. It's, it's a broader risk than just the political thing. It's, it's, it's right. across the board. It's, it, and, and I, and I agree, the, I agree with that 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 is a little bit more concerning. So I'm already talking to my family about, Hey, if, if it sounds like I'm in trouble or I'm in danger, don't just listen to the person on the phone, hang up and call me back. Right. And then I'll let you know if it's right. real or not, I guess. Right. Could it, could it, yeah. could a bad yeah. guy intercept the call and then have it go right back to that fake AI? Oh, it's two factor oh, authentication. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know if my kids actually do any, I think they do some two-factor authentication. Um, but yeah, again, we're, we're all expecting more of this to happen through November, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All Absolutely. Right.
All right. And, and there's a lot of money behind it, so that's a big part of the problem. Is is it all happening, you think, from within the, our own political system, or is this money coming from foreign governments? I don't know. I guess it could be coming from anywhere. Uh, yes and yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to our, our next AI story. This is a story that came out of Davos. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, but um, uh, at the recent Davos conference, OpenAI's CEO Sam Altman said an energy breakthrough is necessary for future artificial intelligence, which will consume vastly more power than people have expected. Uh, speaking at a Bloomberg event on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, Altman said the silver lining is that more climate-friendly sources of energy, particularly nuclear fusion or cheaper solar power and storage, are on the way forward forward for AI. Quote, there's no way to get there without a breakthrough. It motivates us to go invest more in fusion. In 2021, Altman personally provided $375 million to private nuclear fusion company Helion Energy, which has since signed a deal to provide energy to Microsoft, opens new tab in future years. Uh, Microsoft is OpenAI's biggest financial backer and provides its computing resources for AI. Uh, Altman said he wished the world would embrace nuclear fission as an energy source as well. So all of this discussion about energy and and um kind of co- holding back on nuclear energy which you know both jack you and i lived through in the 70s and the 80s um you know where it's like oh it's dangerous it's dangerous we had three mile island we had chernobyl there's a lot of accidents that happened um and then even in japan there was a a, a problem with one of their nuclear right. reactors um but now we're going back to the world where it's cleaner than some of these other fossil fuel stuff. So I, it's interesting that there's this balance between uh, the, the, the eco sustainability side, but then also everyone wanting AI. And it's just ironic that it's like, well, AI needs all this energy to, to operate. Um, so if you want to get to that artificial general intelligence goal, uh, we're going to have to actually look at, nuclear fission again and nuclear fusion well, you know, at some point if that what, ever what exists people don't realize i think uh or, or don't think about i guess it would be better is you know people talk about ai systems uh you know meta is going to go out and buy i don't remember the exact number 30 or forty thousand nvidia h100s to set up this ai supercomputer right each one of those h100s probably takes a megawatt of power Multiply that by 30,000 times and multiply that by, you know, 10,000 AI centers around the world. And you're talking about incredible amounts of electrical power that we need. Well, don't forget the EVs. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Well, when we have AI in the EVs, they'll even need more power. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, could this be the roadblock to to achieving uh, the the goal of of more AI in our lives? I mean, I... Yes. Yeah. I think this would help us achieve the goal of pushing um, enhancements or, or advancements in our electrical grid. Right. Right. Because if you want EVs well, yeah. and, oh, hey, by the way, if you want to build, you know, your AI, you know, supercomputing farms, you're going to have to enact some sort of mass update. Well, we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about that just when we were talking about EV and the grid and the infrastructure that they, there would need to be new energy sources to provide the electricity. I think a lot of people forget that in order to operate an EV, you know, an EV, you need electricity. And how is that electricity produced? A majority of it is still produced by coal and some of these other fo- and oil and fossil yeah. fuels and things like that. Yeah. Like we're not completely on solar and geothermal and some of these other eco-friendly uh, methods. Uh, and now, and, and then 
AI quietly creeped into the conversation and said, oh, that's nothing, guys. Like, you know, hold my beer. I'll show you uh, how much energy I need in order to, to, to run my AI programs. And I think a lot of even businesses that are adopting AI, I don't know how much they realize how much energy in, uh, is needed to produce you know, the results from AI. And so now you've got the, the, the head of open AI saying that even he's saying now, like, Hey, we, we need to get to this nuclear fission and then invest in nuclear fusion as well to try to run this. Um, I just think it's an interesting problem, balance that's I mean, going it, on. Yeah, go ahead, Jack. This is a direct parallel to what happened as, you know, the hyperscalers started building out their data centers and, and they weren't taking, they weren't running AI lo- workloads, but they were running big super, the equivalent of big supercomputers that you could go out and rent, right? Where they located their data centers had nothing to do with where they were located. So Microsoft didn't necessarily locate a, a data center. They may have one in Seattle, but they didn't locate most of them in Seattle. What they did was they looked for places where power was cheap, mm-hmm. power was plentiful, and importantly, Cooling was available because, you know, it's there's no such thing as 100% efficiency. If you're running gigawatts of power into a data center, you're running megawatts out in heat. Right. And so that's got to go somewhere as well. So cooling load is huge. And so it becomes a really major issue. You know, they, they're talking about locating some of these data centers underwater now yeah. <laughs> to yeah. keep them cool. Yeah. Well, I... Um, a few years ago, we were, we there was a story in Computer World about um, someone who went to Iceland and visited all the data centers that were there because they've got ge- geothermal energy and, and they've got a lot of waterfalls and that creates uh, energy. But then you've also got all that water and, and cold water to help cool all of that stuff down. So a lot of major companies are bringing data center stuff to Iceland as well. Of course, now they've got problems in Iceland with volcanoes uh, actually uh, erupting and or not erupting, but about to. Um, so yeah, it, it is interesting to watch this energy, uh, requirement. Um, and that leads us to our next story too, w- that I want to talk to you about. Uh, apparently now big, there's this issue of, of big tech wanting you to foot the bill for AI projects. And we started seeing this with, with open AI, uh, charging a subscription for its pro service. Uh, I still haven't got my, like, I'm still blocked from getting that, that GPT plus service. I'm a little annoyed that I, they haven't opened up the new subscriptions yet. Um, but, you know, we do some other AI subscription services. Um, we have a program that helps us cut up the clips from this uh, podcast and create YouTube shorts out of it. Um, and that's a, a yearly subscription that we're paying for. Um, there was some other news last week where Amazon is doing a, uh, a project with Amazon Alexa to see if people would pay for a smarter Alexa uh, through AI. And so they're, they're trialing that. Most people just roll their eyes, just like Chris just did off screen. Um, so we're getting into an era where... AI is going to be a lot like the streaming services where people are going to pay for subscriptions and whether or not that's a viable market is the big question. Jack, you know, do you have any thoughts on this of, of everything's going to be subscriptions at some point? Yeah. So let me give you a parallel. Um, Years ago when we were kids, TV was free, right? You got it (laughs) over the air, you paid for it with ads, you bought a TV, you had to buy an antenna, but basically it was free. And then we got cable. But why? Because the signal was better. And people said, well, okay, I'll pay a small amount of money. And, you know, in those days, in the early days of cable, it was, what, $15, $20 a month. Uh, the premium services then came on board. You know, it was HBO, Showtime, whoever. Yep. Yep. And we said, yeah, okay, it's only another 5 or 10 bucks a month. I'll, I'll pay it because they have movies. 
you know, you could argue whether those premium services are even worth paying for anymore, but that's a whole different discussion. But gradually, we got used to paying more for premium technology, premium capabilities. Uh, and now most people are probably paying $100, $150, $200 a month for, you know, cable and all the stuff that goes along with it. Right. So is this going to happen in the AI realm? I absolutely think it's going to happen, but it'll probably be a gradual process. You'll probably get a, you know, a five or $10 a month hit here. Then there'll be another $10 a month hit there. Uh, you know, look at what, what, what Musk is trying to do with Twitter. Twitter used to be free now, now X, right? Right. It used to be free. Now, if you want a decent service, you got to pay for it. Um, we're going to see more and more of that. And at some point, people are going to look at this and say, is it worth my paying all of this money? Just as, you know, we talked about last week, right? People are cutting back on, on premium subscriptions, TV subscriptions. Right. The same thing is going to happen with AI. Yeah, I, I found it interesting that there wasn't a lot of, there was initially some free things that you were getting for AI, but it wasn't the same kind of amount of of, of content that you would get on a streaming service. It, it was pretty... It was pretty obvious early on that if you really wanted the good stuff, you would have to pony up some money. Um, right. But now, I, you know, how many different times am I going to want to subscribe to something? Um, even the stuff that we subscribe to, there are some things that I'm not happy about, and I'm hoping that maybe they improve that down the road. Um, but um, it's it's clear that a lot of these algorithms require a lot of processing power, not just energy, but then, you know, time. It, it, some of these drawings that I do where we generate some AI-generated images, it's not instantaneous. It's it's quick. Right. It's fast. Even just a chat GPT, sometimes it takes a, a, a few seconds. But the amount of processing that goes on for a lot of these 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 la large language models, it uh, does take some time. And 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 nothing is free, right? You either pay for it with money or you pay for it with data access. That's what the Facebook model is has always been too. Right. Um, so I think you know, yeah, I think we are going to go down that road of of having to pay more for our AI fix. <laughs> Even free isn't free, right? We have free browsers. We got, you know, Google Chrome. Is it free? Uh, every time I load, uh, you know, I load it, I, I get thirty thousand ads popping up on the <laughs> side. So there's nothing free, guys. We're just, you know, used to paying for it differently. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on the on the Amazon Alexa project? I don't know if you read any of those stories, but it just looks like I think Amazon people are already annoyed with Amazon Alexa listening to our conversations in the house. And trying to tie yeah. that into buying stuff, um, I'm not sure if I really want a smarter Alexa in my house. That's like a Chat GPT thing. I, I certainly, I'm certainly not going to pay for it. Yeah, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, well, I know several people who have banned Alexa. Also, Google, not not just Alexa, both of them, right? Yeah, it's just uh, I I don't want right. I, it's Big Brother. I don't want you listening in on my stuff. They're they're not allowed in the house. Right, and I've turned off all of my Facebook microphone access. Because I'm always freaked out when I'm talking about something on in the house, and Facebook then starts giving me ads for the products that I was talking about or the yeah. the need for yeah. something. Not only that, but I feel like after a while, like with all the these devices, all these services, it becomes way too much to just manage. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's like I have a Google Dot, an Alexa, I have a Roomba. Yeah, I have all you know all these things. It's just like uh, like just for the you know your your average. You know, personally, it just becomes a lot. Yeah. It, it, if you had a choice, I'm going to ask this for Jack and Chris. If you had a choice between getting something for free, but then giving up your data or paying for something and not giving up your data, 
Like, would you make that choice to just paying for it? I mean, for me, I guess it depends on the type of data that they're taking. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, if it's like my my images and stuff on my phone, if it's, you know, access to my text messages, absolutely not. Or like, even like, you know, internet, you know, whatever, like cookie data, browsing data, like any of that, like, definitely not. If it's just like, okay, keystrokes when it's using my app, you know, and like how I'm using the app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's fine. All right. What about like name, email address, and then, well, name and email address just so that they can then send you offers or. Yeah, that's fine. And you know, you have the option to opt out, you okay. know, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I guess it, it depends. It depends. Yeah. Jack, what, what are your thoughts? Do you, has the pendulum swung back to just, I'm like, I'll pay for it, but then not just please don't use yeah, my data. It, it, it depends on the value I'm getting from the service. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, there's stuff that I've already cut off. Honestly, I, you know, I, I almost never, ever, ever do Facebook anymore for, for the reason that you stated earlier. They follow everything you do. Even, even if you're not using Facebook, they follow what you do because they, they know your IP address and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I think you could try uh, to turn that, you could try to turn that off, but it's a hard thing to do. They, they make it nearly impossible to turn off. Yeah. Because their business model requires that they have that information about you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it depends. There are there are privacies. Yeah, you know, people pay for for privacy services basically around um, you know malware today, right? LifeLock, as an example. Um, yeah, I don't remember what the, the cost is. It's not trivial, but you know, they say if you get if you get a breach, they'll they'll give you up to a million dollars to go figure out what happened to you and 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 fix it. Uh, so people are paying for those kinds of services today. That's kind of after the fact. That's more insurance, right? Than right. than more predictive and and being able to prevent it from happening. But some people are willing to pay for some of that. It really is a question of how much value are you giving them longer term. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got one more AI story in, in, uh, for the episode, and uh, then we can stop talking about AI and go on to some other tech okay. tech topics. Um, all right, there was a story this week where. Uh, a prestigious literary prize was awarded to a novel that was written with some help from AI. Uh, one of Japan's most prestigious literary prizes was awarded to a novel written with the help of artificial intelligence. During a ceremony awarding the uh, Akutawaga Prize to author Ri Kudan, the writer revealed that about 5% of her novel was composed using the AI chatbot program ChatGPT. The novel, which is called The Tokyo Tower of Sympathy, was praised by judges as, quote, flawless. Uh, and, it, and it takes place in a futuristic Tokyo with AI as a recurring theme. The novel follows architect Sarah McKenna, who is building a rehab center for criminals, and Takuto, a young man writing her biography. Now, um, but then the, the 33-year-old author seemed unashamed that AI had so heavily impacted her writing process. This will quote, I made active use of generative AI like ChatGPT in writing this book. She said after she was given the award, I would say about 5% of the book quoted verbatim the sentences generated by AI. Um, I haven't seen a lot of other outrage around this story, and it feels like a lot of people are like, well, the book is about AI, so I guess it's okay. Um, it, you know, the, there was really no comment from the people that were giving the award. Do you think that they knew that there was some AI involved? Is, are, are we going to be in a situation where if you're submitting something, do you have to uh, be upfront about it and say, yeah, AI helped me either come up with some ideas or generated some dialogue? Like, are we now entering that world? Because it, it feels like no no one is like there, there wasn't any huge outrage around this. It just kind of was a nice yeah. story. And then that's it. It's kind of a tough one. Um, so 
most authors today have editors that will go in and tell them, you know, this this part is good, this part is bad, fix this part, here's where I think you need to go. Yeah. So some of the argument is, well, chat GPT, sorry, chat GPT is just my online editor. Um, that's the extreme case. The other extreme case is, no, it's not original. It's not coming from your brain. <clears throat> Why are you taking credit for it at all? Right. Why isn't, uh, you know, when, when the, when it says on the bottom by, you know, Jack Gold, it should also say by Jack Gold and chat GPT. Right. So people know. So, um, it's, it's a gray area right now. As with any new technology, this happens. Um, I think we're going to see over time, not necessarily regulation, but expectation of people saying that they use the AI to do certain uh, whatever they're doing, whether you know it's just plain editing or, 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 or even worse, what if I'm writing a paper? You know, we talked about we didn't talk about, but you know, it, it's been in the news lately about plagiarism and and um, you know the president of of Harvard having to resign because of right. plagiarism. Right. Uh, what if you just go to Chat GPT and say, "Hey, Chat GPT, I need a research paper on." You know the cost of power to run uh, an AI system, mm -hmm. and it generates it for you, and then you put your name on it and submit it, and it's it, and it's a good paper, and people love it, and it gets published, and you get credit for it, and <laughs> maybe you know it's part of your master's thesis or whatever. Is that cheating? Well, yeah, it, well, it, it feels like if you didn't then if you didn't go through it and edit it and try to like add your own thoughts about it. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know research papers are are a little bit different than just kind of news articles and things like that. I mean, or, you didn't use your own brain to formulate. Well, you uh, used your own brain to come up with the prompt, I guess. You could claim that. I mean, yeah, again, that's I a, don't, yeah, but that's a prompt. Yeah, I mean, you know, just, and then there's, there's all this copyright infringement stuff going on where the data sets that are used to create ChatGPT right. and the language models, you know, were crafted from potentially copyrighted uh, material, which, uh, you know, has a lot of authors. I'm sure Stephen King is upset about it. I'm, I think what was, I, I was watching that video there, Chris, and it was George R.R. R. Martin. He's, mm -hmm. but, but at this point, I, I, I you know, George R.R. R. Martin should use ChatGPT to finish those, the damn Game of Thrones books that he's been oh, yeah, waiting go. on for, for, for years and years. That'd be a good use. Yeah. use <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Um, just finish the damn series already. Um, yeah. It, I, I'm I'm more surprised that there about the lack of kind of people talking about this, and maybe I'm just not seeing the, the, all the different articles, but it just felt it was like okay, yeah, uh, someone won. Where it was more, it was more there was more outrage on the art side where someone won a photography contest by using AI to generate an image that was completely fake. Like that's a problem. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's early days, right? I think we'll see more of this. Um, also, you know what what. What if I did? What if that author didn't disclose it? What right. If the author just said, "Yeah, it's all mine." How yeah. would you know? Well, at least she admitted it after she won the award, and and uh, I, you know. Right. But I think maybe a lot of these these people that are holding these contests, they're going to have to start having that in the fine print. Um, yeah. Like Chris, like, all right. This here's just a quick anecdote. Chris and I were there's a there's a our company here has a uh, uh, a yearly photo contest for all of its employees they can submit their photos uh for the uh yeah and they used to put it on a calendar um i don't know if they have an actual calendar anymore i think they just post it online 
somewhere. TVs. And the TVs that are around the the office here. So it was the annual photo contest. And it used to be a big deal because you would get your photo on a calendar. And so Chris and I were considering entering an AI-generated photo uh, to see if it could win. Um, But then we got busy with other stuff, so we never got around to it. But I did try a couple of of images to see if I could, you know, generate something that was as interesting as a real photo. Um, and it did a pretty good job of some like mountain landscapes and those things that you see on typical bank calendar kind of types of, of, of things. Um, but we never followed through on it cause we didn't want to get in trouble, but there was no rule, you know, I, in the rules that they hadn't set up rules about like, please don't uh, submit an AI photo. Right. But I think that that's, what's <laughs> going to have to happen at some point. Is there's going to have to be some uh, upfront rules? Yeah, it, it, it's going to take a little time. This stuff goes slowly. Okay. All right. I want to move on to the, another story that that probably won't interest you guys at all. But um, in the wrestling world, uh, my son is a big wrestling fan. So am I. Uh, the uh, TV show WWE Raw, which has uh, been on uh, uh, cable network USA for almost the entirety of its 31 year run. So it's been on this channel for th- 31 years. It's now basically going to move to ne- Netflix starting in January, 2025. Um, Netflix was exploring the idea of live streaming shows for years. And the company revealed this week that it struck a deal to live stream WWE for raw for the next decade. Uh, the streaming company's agreement with the parent company of WWE TKL holdings is worth more than $5 billion and basically it'll stream you know and and so a lot of people are now saying that netflix is moving into a a cable service type of platform rather than just a regular streaming and they're they're getting into live events and we talked about this last week with peacock and the nfl football game so we're starting to see all of these streamers now act more and more like cable tv providers i mean they're gonna they're gonna have to because again i think it's a it's a game of retention yep right with streaming so they're gonna have to add more and more content to their uh app essentially what what's interesting on the wrestling side is that this does not include what they call premium live events which used to be called pay-per-views um so 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 this will just be added directly to netflix yeah it'll be a a thing you know every monday night you'll be able to go on to netflix and watch the show it's not like a separate plan no no but again, it's it, like you said, it's about retention. If you, yep, if you were thinking you of dropping Netflix, well, it's like, well, but I really like wrestling, so now I can watch the wrestling, so I have to hold on to it if I want to watch Raw every week. The problem is, is that Peacock also has the rights to the pay-per-views or the premium live events, so the big ones like the Royal Rumble, uh, the uh, uh, WrestleMania, some of the bigger ones, you still have to go to Peacock, and I'm not sure when that contract goes up but yeah. it would be nice to then just you know now I, i've got to subscribe <laughs> to six or seven different streamers just to get all of the content i'm hoping at some point wwe says well, why don't we just consolidate this into one um one platform but i think they're making so much money by by diversifying the platforms yeah probably. which is what the nfl does i mean nfl has uh five or six different media partners that are willing to pay up a lot of money billions of dollars for these for these rights um Jack, do you yeah, have any thoughts on this? Or is it, I mean, again, it's just, it just, it's, it's interesting to me from yeah. a wrestling perspective, but also from a technology perspective of seeing where these high content programs or these live events are going to be moving from their traditional spots. Yeah. The NFL is a little different in that a lot of what they do is on a, on a bid basis, right? So they'll say, you know, here's the Super Bowl. Who's going to pay the most for it? Right. Um, so, that's a little bit different, perhaps, but well, I think no, I think that, I think that WWE was putting this out to bid. Um, I, I think that they 
they may have the contract was up and maybe there was an assumption that there was going to stay on cable but i think that they put this out to bid for these other networks right right so then the question becomes is so let's go back to the nfl if if i want to put a an ad on i'm making this up let's say abc has the 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 super bowl is this year right if i want to put an ad on abc on the super bowl i got to pony up what 10 million dollars 15 million dollars it's a huge sum yeah and so as long as abc can make that kind of money on ads then it's profitable for them if people decide they're not going to do that then abc is going to lose money the same is going to be true with netflix right it, it, how do they get revenue in, uh, incrementally increased revenue by having wwe mm. that's really the game for them and so they think by having wwe they will get, you know, folks like perhaps you, Keith, and your and your and your son, right? Who will pay, or stay on the service, or add to the service, or jump on the service because you're not there yet. That's how they're going to get their money back. But if that doesn't pan out for them, they're going to drop it, right? It's, you know, it's it's a it's a very simple equation. I, I just think that this means that the 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 cable companies are probably like if you're only on cable now, like you're in trouble. Because more people are going to jump yeah, off cable. I, if I had to make a choice between paying X amount of dollars for uh, the cable subscription, but then I have to add to you know to watch something on Netflix, I'm going to drop the cable subscription and just go to the on-demand stuff. And then they're going to have well, live events yes, anyway. Yes and no. Yeah. Because we had this discussion, I think, was last week. Probably, um, yeah. yeah. We, we did that. I, we, have, we have another house, and, and I dropped the, the TV portion. Uh, and, and so what they did was they said, well, fine, I, I had to keep the internet. You got to have internet. Yep. It's like not, it's like not having electricity or water today, right? You got to have internet. And so what they said was fine. We'll drop the TV. Oh, by the way, just the internet's going to cost you about 70, 75% to 80% of what you were paying before with TV. Right. Right. So they so, don't even care about the TV uh, content anymore as much as just the, just the access to the internet. Well, they know that the reason you're dropping TV is because you still need internet for all these other services that you're paying for, and they're going to stick it to you, basically. Right. And then you start getting competition of, well, I'll just try to find another internet service plan, and you start hearing things about home wireless and satellite. Right. There are alternatives to just the cable company providing internet, unless you're in a really remote area. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not universal yet, and and it, even in in the big city, you you can't always get it because it's too much of a load. So, we tried um, uh, when when Timo first came out with their fixed wireless access service. I tried it. We were up in Maine, and I I brought you know uh, uh, their their fixed wireless access yep router with me to try it to see how it worked. It worked great. I was able to stream movies. I was on you know Amazon Prime. I was I was streaming whatever I needed to do. But it was in a relatively rural area or, or, you know, marginally suburban area. If you tried to do that in Boston or Chicago or San Francisco, right. it ain't going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. We'll see where this goes. And, and um, again, it, it, I, I, I could see them making the first steps and you're going to start seeing other live events as well. Something I wanted to bring up when we talked about last week about the Peacock only uh, football game and we were right. saying that this might be the way it goes. Right after the show or the next day, I saw some stats from the number of viewers on all of the different playoff games 
and the Peacock game was the lowest amount. So NBC was all going, oh, we had 23 million viewers. But then when you saw the ratings for these other ones, it was like 30 million, 40 million uh, people watching the other football games that were available over broadcast or the, the cable things. So maybe the enthusiasm for the streaming, it's either it's it's one of two things. Either the enthusiasm is going to go down from the NFL going, well, we're losing you know, access to 10 million people or there was a boycott. I don't think there was an actual boycott or just people that didn't feel like subscribing uh, or Peacock's taking the first step and, and those numbers will go higher as more and more people subscribe. It, like, do you yeah, have a it, gut feeling one way or the other? You, you can't just look at the numbers of viewers. What you have to look at, and this is what the cable companies look at, this is what the, the broadcast companies look at, it's revenue per view. <laughs> so, if I'm on cable and, and and you've got I'm making up numbers again, a hundred million viewers and they're they're each getting the equivalent of a dollar uh per view, then you know, I'm making a hundred million dollars. And that's that's because of ad spend, basically. Mm-hmm. If I'm on Peacock and I have fifty million viewers, but they're each paying twenty dollars, right. Then, you know, I'm doing fine. And the right. and the NFL's getting a cut of that. So it's it's not just the actual numbers of eyeballs. It's actually how much gener- how much money, how much revenue they can generate per eyeball that these guys are looking at, and that's what's uh, that's what the the how the equation has changed lately. Hmm. Okay. Well, again, we'll be we'll, we'll be watching this this uh, over the next few years, I'm sure. Uh, I wanted yeah. to get to the security uh, story that came out this week of quote the mother of all breaches. There was a data leak yeah. that revealed 26 billion account records that were stolen from Twitter, LinkedIn, and, and more. Uh, basically, uh, this massive leak revealed $26 billion, uh, 26 billion records, including popular sites like LinkedIn, Snapchat, Venmo, Adobe, and X, which is known, you know, formerly Twitter. Uh, the compromised data includes more than just login credentials, according to experts. Much of it was sensitive, making it valuable for malicious actors per Cyber News, which first discovered the breach on an unsecured website. I think the more I read about it, it was this was more of a compilation of, of attacks that had already happened. So, Jack, did you did you get a sense that this is a big deal or not a big deal or, you know, and I got a follow up question on this, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal in that there are that many breaches, right? Yeah. Uh, over time. But this particular one was more, uh, you know, a headline grabber than I think new news. Most of this was compilations of data that was breached over the last probably several years, all in one place. Uh, and so in that sense. Uh, first of all, how do you go through that much data, even if you're a bad actor? Yep. And secondly, uh, it's 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 available, but uh, you know, my if I've got my a, a data breach on that with my username and password that I that I've known about for two years and it's changed, how much good is it going to do? Right. So we have to take this kind of stuff with a grain of salt. Clearly, you never want to have a breach. You don't want the data out there. It's risky if people have not taken it seriously and, and changed their passwords or turned on two-factor authentication or you right. know whatever it's going to be. But uh, this is not something I would be panicked about. Yeah. So that that leads to me to the question of well, there's two questions then. Do as a tech consumer, do I feel like I, I'm never going to win against? these bad actors that are doing it and it's always going to be a, a world of where I'm just constantly um Chris can you get that's an ad <laughs> can you just get that off <laughs> yeah, sure. um okay um is are we going to be living in a constant world where I'm constantly 
changing my passwords, changing my authentication methods, trying to stay one step ahead of anything that's going to be leaked. Uh, or I, I can't remember what the alternative was like, or, you know, do we get a sense that we're ever going to win against this? And it's just a way of life now. Yeah. So in the short term, the, the, the former is probably going to be the case in the longer term we're looking at ways to change the dynamic. So, for instance, if, uh, you know, today, most sites are username and password. That, that's kind of it. Yep. Uh, Two-factor authentication makes it a little harder for you to imitate me trying to get into that website because, you know, they'll send a text to my phone. If you don't have my phone, you know, you, you can't get the, 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 the pin to get back on. Sure. But in the future, what we're, we're what what a lot of the security research are doing uh, is trying to make it more personal in the sense of it's not just username and password; it's my face, right? Or my fingerprint, um, or you know where I, I'm located, yeah. Or how I speak, or how I type on a keyboard, which is you know very personal. It's like a fingerprint. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff coming. The problem is a lot of these sites. Don't want to implement a lot of that technology because it's expensive mm -hmm. and it's hard to do. Yeah. It, but long term, that's the route we're going to have to take. And that's going to make it much harder, much harder for uh, people to come in and, and, and steal your identity. And, and um, we're also seeing things where the browsers are storing your passwords so that you don't. Or the, and then they're offering strong passwords so that I don't have to actually write my password down on a piece of paper or put it into a file anymore um, because a strong password is generated by the browser um, as long as I, you know, I'm hoping that those browser password storage things are encrypted somewhere, whether it's my computer or somewhere on a server. Um, I would like to see a world where there's no passwords. Like I could just log yep. in and then they can they can get the password from a site that that's encrypted and then the two factor i'm i'm fine with the pin numbers at this point i what i don't like are the um authenticator apps do you do you get do you have a lot of those where you then have to type in a number off of the the authenticator i have one i use it rarely i only the only time i use it is when somebody you know when some website absolutely requires it yeah. um but i don't like it either it's it's how do I know that's not been hacked? Right. And and the thing that bothers me about that is that when I upgraded, I upgraded my phone and the authenticator app that was on there didn't transfer over for some reason or there needed to be a separate key. So then I tried to log in with my new phone and I didn't have the app on the phone and it didn't remember the initial key phrase. So I was like, well, I couldn't get access to well, that site anymore. I, it's yeah, it's. That's because the authenticator app actually uses the identity on your phone as part of the uh, uh, as part of the authentication. So if you change phones, you're you're it it doesn't consider you safe anymore. Right. And you have to start all over again. And there's and there's and you know and this was actually Epic Games. So this was, you know, I was trying to get uh, my Fortnite account of off of my PC. I wanted to put it back on a new PC that I got, and, and it was like, well the only way you can log in is through this authenticator. I was like, well, I don't have that phone anymore. Like that thing was wiped. So, you know, and, and there's no good way to tell it, you know, the customer service people like, can you just give me an, you know, I am who I am. Send me the phone, the, the phone texting and they won't do that. So as a customer, I just gave up. So, uh, all right. I, yeah. 
Uh, one final question before we get to the lightning round. I wanted to, to this was a, a cool story. I've always liked positive technology news. Uh, so Disney apparently has gotten us one step closer to the Star Trek holodeck. Um, this was a video that appeared on uh, one of the uh, Kotaku site. Uh, a new advanced treadmill-like floor invention from Disney could solve one of the biggest problems with VR, which is movement, but it could also bring the world one step closer to making a Star Trek-like holodeck a reality. Uh, in a video from Disney, we got a sneak peek of what the company is calling the Hollow Tile, an omnidirectional treadmill-like floor that multiple people can use at the same time. The first look at this new impressive tech was included in a video primarily directed to uh, celebrating Disney Research Fellow and famous Imagineer Lanny Smoot's introduction induction into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Uh, so he's also the one that invented this Hollow Tile, and uh, we're watching a video, Jack, on this uh, that shows you. I don't know if you saw the video as well. Um, little kind of like like treadmill like things on the floor but that's then, actually really cool yeah it, it what's interesting is that multiple people can be on the floor at the same time so it's not just related to one person so you can have a couple of people that are walking in different directions and if they have one of the headsets on or if they've got a in a vr environment they're what they're seeing is is different from what the other user is doing uh, one of the other things they can do is they can move uh, objects around on this floor so it's not and, and it seems like they're moving on their own and what I think Disney is going to end up doing this is they're going to put this in their park somewhere um, and they're going to have this as part of, of the attractions rather than try to market something for either a home but um, it, it does seem very very cool in the VR space, what you used to have to do in terms of movement, if you're not just using a joystick, you would be standing still. But there were these devices you could stand on with like special socks. And then as you move your feet, the the virtual reality character moves with you. But those things were, were pretty clunky and again, single user only. So I, I just think it's 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 a neat development. I, I doubt that we're gonna be seeing this in the next few years. I think Disney will take this technology and just kind of put it in its parks. Um, but it, yeah. once it happens, it could be interesting. Um, there were some questions about like, well, how do you stop? Because if you're on one of these things and you're constantly moving, if you stop, is it going to like screw you up? Well, I'm, on, I'm wondering if you can actually run on it because yeah, we maybe, only saw walking. Yeah. Or if you can run, you know? Well, imagine if that could be a fitness thing too, then like if you're on a treadmill, what if you could then turn on this treadmill? How many different kind of, uh, experiences while working out could you, could you do? Right. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other things we could think of, Jack, but um, what do you think? Did you watch that video like, or at least the end of it where they were showing it off? I did. I, I saw it. And, and, you know, the first thing that, that came to my mind was as I, I was looking at the mat, it was there are a thousand little uh, mouse balls on there. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that are, as you move your feet, the mouse is saying, you know, move left, move right, move up, move down. The, the question then becomes, of course, how you connect all those together to, to your headset. And, and that's, I think, the technology that, that, that is really cool about this thing. Um, the other question is how big could they scale this thing, right? So it's, it's relatively small. It looked like it was maybe, what, three or four feet by four feet, something like yeah. that. Can you fill a whole floor, a whole room with that? Right. And how much compute do you need to make that work, <laughs> right? Because, you know, if it really is, a thousand little mouse balls running around that you're running around on and each one of them has to be connected somehow to a, a bigger system so it's it's cool technology uh we'll see how it all plays out but but i i do agree with you i think the the first uh implementation will be in the disney parks because you know they can get money for that right right it's, it's all it, it, to a home 
That'd yeah. be too expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when when you actually said mouse balls, I kept thinking the first thing I thought you were going to say was the the amount of dust that would be collected on those things. Um, and, and cleaning <laughs> these things could be a nightmare. Um, back in the days when we had mouse balls, remember all the gunk that would get on the on, on the little yep. tracker thing? And thank goodness that someone figured out that we don't need those things anymore. Um, all right. So yeah. Uh, but then you went in a different direction. So, so thank you for that. Uh, yeah, cool stuff. So if you get a chance, go to that video and watch it. It's, it's very neat. All right, lightning round. We're going to be real quick here. Uh, the Mac turned 40 this week. Uh, uh, Beck, you probably you probably remember it, uh, Jack. I remember it. We are over the age of of the his, You know, we were we were around when the Mac was introduced. Um, are you a Mac guy now, or are you still? I mean, are you? Do, you know, the whole PC versus Mac thing. Um, I became a Mac convert probably about 15, 20 years ago. Um, I do still enjoy working on a PC every now and then, but uh, you know, if, if if you ask me, I would be a Mac guy at this point. Yeah. Not me. I, I tried Macs uh, probably going back 20 years ago now, or maybe more. Um, and I was on it for about a year, mostly because the employer that I was at had Macs. Mm-hmm. And and frankly, I just preferred Windows just because of primarily shortcuts. I, there were a lot of stuff I couldn't do on Mac that, you know, I had to go through the Mac menu to do. On Windows, I could just, you know, do keystrokes and I was done. So I, I and I've been kind of on, on Windows forever. So once you kind of get stuck on one or, or, or comfortable with one, I guess would be better. Yeah. Um, it, it tends to stay that way. I was surprised that, that our, our pal Chris there in the corner is, is a PC guy in the video and photography space. I always thought that those people were always Mac diehards and, and you know, you're, you're, are you a rarity Chris, or do you feel that a lot of other videographers are still PC guys? Uh, I mean, they're, they're, I feel like it's mostly Mac just because the operating system, you know, and, uh, combined with their CPUs, they're, they perform a little bit better Mm -hmm. than PCs, but I mean, it's, it's really up in the air. I mean, you're also a Um, PC gamer too. So it's like, you could take your hardware and you combine that with the gaming and then the video stuff. It's better than maybe having two different systems. Yeah. I mean, you really can't game on a mac not that i know not of. that they're trying well they're try- apple I mean, is certainly trying and they're, and yeah, they're definitely just, trying and, they, but, and people just shake their head whenever that that happens yeah but i mean at least with pc you know you can make you can make your own my i've made my own i made our studio pc here yeah. and you can kind of tweak it the way you know you want it and so so maybe all of these uh, anniversary articles that we're seeing are just from those Mac diehards that that have a soft spot for those types of anniversaries. You never really see these articles for the you know a round number anniversary of of Windows uh, or a Microsoft yeah. type product. Is it, do you? It's a different relationship. You do, uh, <laughs> but it's a different relationship. Macs are are much more, or Mac aficionados, I guess, are 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 much more uh, embracing of Mac. And Mac culture, I guess I would say, than yeah. the Windows guys are. For us, for Windows, it's mostly just yeah, you know, it's a tool. I yeah, got right. it, I, yeah. I got it, and I use it. So, for right, Macs, so it's more of an experience, right. right? So, so you could almost say that PC owners are more like they're treating it like a toaster, whereas uh, a Mac owner would actually feel more like it's a it's a member of the family. Yeah. Or not that yeah. not that extreme, but that kind of emotional attachment to a device. And I, and I mean, it's yeah. gonna, it's going to depend. Like some post production houses, they you know they might be PC. And another production house might be uh, Mac. You know, it just it just depends on the workflow that that they're doing. So, 
Well, I'm just always glad that there's an alternative. I'm glad there's 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 you can have a choice between those two different devices depending yeah. on what you want to get out of it. So, and we're not just stuck in a well. You got a computer, you have to use Windows. So, um, plus I'm glad that companies now allow users to make that choice as well. I, I I was never a fan of well, you remember this person? Here's your here's your computer, and you're stuck on this. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad at least the IT departments allow that choice. All right, uh, quickly on the next uh, item, uh, the worldwide market for used smartphones is forecast to surpass 430 million dollar units. Uh, 430 million units. Um, th- I, this was an IDC report that came out, basically uh, acknowledging the fact that people are holding on to their smartphones longer, and so that's also creating a market for secondary phone sales. But now they're going to have an inventory problem as uh, more people are holding on to their original smartphones and then not reselling them. Um, so I just thought that that was interesting uh, for some stuff that we were talking about. Um, I don't I don't need any commentary on that one because I want to just touch on the last one. Uh, there was a JD Power survey that said Generation Z customers are using their phones more than other generations. Just a quick little stat to to make us laugh. Um, Gen Z customers use their phones more than 300 minutes per day on average, which is five hours a day. And pre-boomers use their phones on an average of 58 minutes a day. So that's only about an hour. Um, Jack, are, I mean, is this a surprising number to you that, that, that the Gen Z users are on for five hours a day? Do I need to, to become one of those old people that goes, ah, oh, you're spending too much time on your phone? Because this is what happened to me when, when I was growing up. They're like, oh, you're watching too much TV, three hours a day. I mean, five hours a day on a phone is, is, is high, but that could just be me as an older person well it, it's high and and there are a couple of issues with that that i that i have at least one is and, and frankly i am an old guy so that's different <laughs> one is the more time more time you spend on your phone the phone becomes for these folks the phone becomes the the avenue for them to stay in touch with people with with their friends with their social network yeah as opposed to face-to-face personal uh uh or even zooming right which is different um, so that becomes a whole issue of how you interact and how you get information and how you, uh, are, you know, are you a, a social animal or are you a social phone user? Um, and, and personal interactions are very different than social interactions. And so we're, we're seeing a very significant shift in the younger generation who grew up with technology. I mean, they didn't know any differently. Right. I'll, I'll tell you a really quick story. This went back a few years ago. Um, but my uh, my wife uh, had uh, my grandson, who probably was about two at the time. I th- I'm thinking, and she went to show him some family pictures. So she picked him up, put her on, uh, put him on her knee, and she had a stack of you know just pictures. Yeah, just you know about this thick, and she showed it to him, and he looked down, and the first thing he did was when he saw the picture, he went like this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and couldn't figure out why it didn't move. Right, so. It's it's a technology thing. I don't think we have a, a choice. It's going to happen. But we just have to be smart about what the effects, the long-term effects, and what they're doing to our mind and what they're doing to our kids' minds are because it's it's changing the way we interact. You you had mentioned uh, earlier in the show where we were talking about, you were talking about, you know, electric and water, and those are life necessities. And you, you mentioned internet access. Could we start seeing a thing where a smartphone is now see it would be seen as a life necessity for the you know the younger generation and moving beyond that? Um, I, I've seen it, some things it about is. it. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, we've seen reports about could you could you live without your smartphone? And the numbers are really high that people say, no, I can't live without it. Like, yeah, how is that concerning? How is that concerning? Like, and should I, as a, as a parent or, you know, at some point when I'm a, I'm a grandparent, will that, you know, can you start limiting that? Or is it just one of those things you have to throw your arms up in the air? You need to, as a parent, you need to limit it in the sense that you need to know what your kids are doing with it and, 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 and make sure that what they're doing with it is good versus not good. Uh, you know, there are a lot of TikTok videos out there that are really screwing up kids' heads. Yep. Uh, because there's no regulation on it and, 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 and the parents don't know that they're, they're getting to it. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, I won't give examples, but, you know, we've had, we've had issues with, with some of our grandkids around that. So you, it, it's, it's a foregone conclusion that the smartphones are not going away. They're going to be here forever. It's also a foregone conclusion that the younger generations are using them as kind of their virtual window into the world and how they interact with other people. But that doesn't mean that all things that are taking place on that uh, are good. I, you know, the same issue you, you or, mentioned earlier, TV. Yeah. There were TV shows that we weren't allowed to watch, right? Because they were just bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I just, I'm, just, I'm just recalling all the really bad TV quick. shows I watched as a kid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'll give you one other really quick statistic. So my, my son's daughter uh, had, I think she had an iPhone. I'm pretty sure it was an iPhone. And it had a parental control on it. And he would, he went in and, and turned on the parental control because she was staying up till, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning and, and being too tired to go to school the next day. Guess what? She went on TikTok, found a, a video of how to uh, disable parental yep. lock. Yep. And so she's still up to one or two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, I just, I just want to end this by saying, um, so I, I talk a lot about my kids on this show and I was talking to my daughter the other day and she's like, you only say bad things about us. You only say all of the different things that, that get us in trouble. And this would be another example of that. But I do want to say that my kids are very good about not going down those bad paths and, and they, and they do right. find benefits of using their smartphones. Um, in fact, my youngest daughter went decided that she was using uh, social media too much and she did the step on her own. This is not something that we told her to do. Um, but she took the steps of deleting some of these accounts or disabling them or, or just putting them on pause. Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of her for, for taking that step and realizing that, that it was t having this part of her life that, that she didn't want to have anymore. So uh, yeah, again, I, I you know, want, kudos to her for that. Make sure uh, people understand I'm not negative on phones. I yeah. mean, th there's a lot of safety that comes along with everyone having a smartphone. Sure. Sure. Oh yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy that the, my oldest who drives, uh, has that phone with her so that if the car breaks down or if, if uh, God forbid she gets in sure. an accident, she can call me rather than when I was a, you know, a, a young driver. If I got an accident, I was on my own. I, I had to walk to right. a pay phone once to, to call a, a company to tow the car after my car broke down. So, you know, right. that part of, of having that safety is, is a lot better than it used to be. So uh, again, so I just found that number when I saw that number and said, you know, five hours a day, that, that just was like, so, uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. And at some point when in 20 years, when everybody's got the chips in their, in their, uh, wrists or brains or whatever, we'll be talking about how much time is being spent using that chip or, you know, brainwave machine or whatever we're going to be finding next. Uh, so Jack, again, thanks yeah. again for being on the show with us this week. Uh, great stuff. My pleasure. Always, always fun to be with you, Keith. All right. 
That's all Thank the time. You. Yep. That, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.